Well, folks, welcome to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Excited for our guest today. Russell Lagan is a regional director with EXP Real Estate and focusing on their growth strategy throughout North America. Russell is a speaker, trainer, coach, and a team builder that helps many teams build a fundamental, sustainable business, all through the nature of relationships. We speak about that today in today's episode. We go through the relationship economy. We talk about where the industry is going by way of different models that are out there. We speak about so many different things from a marketplace perspective that can be relevant so that therefore you can speak to the marketplace intelligently. A great deal of experience as he deals with realtors all through North America that are doing great deal of large volume and is their personal coach and trainer. A really good episode. Looking forward to you listening to it. Welcome to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate, Russ. Obviously, everyone's gotten to know you from the introduction that I've given you into this, and uh, I, I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing that you're associated with Chris. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, uh, that guy was pushing the envelope years ago when I first met him. And the fact that he comes boomeranging back and throws my name in a hat, like, I don't know whether to thank him or hit him or or what, but no, he, he's a he's a great guy and super talented at what he does. So love no, that. He's, so Kerrigan, um, is it Kerrigan Real Estate is where you guys met? That was Carrington. Carrington, there you go. Okay. Carrigan for Aussies. That's fine. That's close enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Carrington. So Carrington Real Estate, they uh, they built their business after the big the big financial collapse. And then uh, the, the guy started that company was one of the guys on Wall Street where Wolf on Wall Street stuff was going down. And he's like, hey, there's gonna be some opportunities here. So he started building a company doing disposition of uh, REO properties, foreclosed properties, that kind of thing. Uh, has a mortgage company that's rolling with it. And then they were like, hey, why don't we leverage all the dollars instead of referring all this business out? And they started the real estate side. And then you go up into 2014, 15, real estate business stopped. Uh, REO real estate business stopped and they're standing there going, we're an REO company with no REOs. So <laughs> they bought my company and uh, in Tampa. And then I helped teach a lot of their offices and their managers how to actually do regular real estate stuff because it's it's a different set of animals. REO agents are a different set of animals than uh, general real estate agents. So ha- having to make that shift was kind of interesting. It's like going from indoor cats to outdoor cats, as I mentioned back in the day to them. Uh, <laughs> they're two completely different animals, right? And they got different skill sets. They're both fine, but you get an indoor cat outside and it dies and you get an outdoor cat inside and it destroys everything. So uh, it's a matter of getting the right people. That's where I met Chris. So good stuff. Very good. Very good. Well, I think that um, that's actually leads me to a question that's a little bit off topic for a little a little bit, but um, what do you think's happening in the REO or, or the distress space? Because like, like I've got a couple of guest speakers coming up in a little while for the podcast where they're in the mortgage industry, but they don't even seem to really understand what's going on as well. Do you have any thoughts around that space? Yeah, you know, uh, sure. So I'm not an REO specialist, but I will tell you that a, a, a huge number of the things that created the REO boom in 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 even, uh, are completely different factors that are going on currently. So, you know, there's a lot of people saying, hey, well, this stuff's going to happen and the market's tightening up and people are going to start losing their houses because they can't afford them anymore. And the, the component that we're missing is, 
you know, in a small percentage, will it bump up a little bit currently due to shifts in market? Absolutely. Uh, that's normal when markets tighten up and money tightens up. Some people lose their homes. It's part of the game. Uh, not a part of the game that I love. It's a part of the game that sucks because I want everybody around me to win all the time. So just the fact that one person loses their home is is horrible to me. But with that being said, you look at the people that qualified in 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and the shifts to the way they had to qualify. If you couldn't afford a house, you didn't get one, right? Like I'm sitting here with, you know, a, a very healthy income, 805 credit score. And I got to the point where like three days before closing, I'm like, if you guys ask me one more thing and treat me like a criminal one more time, I'm just going to buy this stupid thing cash. And, uh, and of course they called my bluff because like <laughs> I'm getting a mortgage at two and three eighths for 15 year fixed. Like yeah. I can't take my money and I, I can, I can put my money almost anywhere and make more than two and three eighths. So as far as I'm concerned, taking the mortgage gave me the ability to have free percentages, you know, so, uh, you know, free percentage points on my investment. So I just invested the money and paid my two and three eighths to the bank. Right. Uh, so you know, if you look at somebody with that kind of qualification, can you imagine what it took for somebody with a 600 credit score without good income, without good, you know, so people were highly qualified or buying cash. So we got more cash buyers in the market, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20 than ever that, that I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, hedge funds and uh, at private equity companies and all the rest of the things that go with that. And those guys don't foreclose, right? Mm. Are there some of them going to dispose of their property? Sure. Uh, in, in most of the markets right now, like let's say, for example, I know Tampa really well and I know Detroit really well because I've lived and worked in both those markets, right? In Tampa, if you doubled the inventory today, you'd still be a seller's market. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're right. Horror, right. They're like, well, Russ, what if the inventory doubles? I'm like, what if it doubles and then doubles again? You're still a seller's market. So like, come on, guys. Like people have, have had strong appreciation on their houses. So the people that lose their houses in a market like this are people that just put their head in the sand and be like, I've got $80,000 equity. I can't afford to own this house. So instead of selling it and cashing out the equity, they put their head in the sand and hope. And, you know, a year and a half, two years later, the bank's like, hey, dude, like we agreed to, you agreed to pay the money back. We just expect you to pay the money back. Yeah. Listen, Ben, if I loaned you 10 grand and you said you'd pay me back, I'd expect you to pay me back. And these numbers are a lot bigger than that, right? And they're like, oh, horrible business. Uh, you agreed to pay it back. You didn't. And I understand life circumstances happen and those are, are those situations should be rules and there should be reasons to fix some of those. But for the normal, normal stuff, it's like, Hey, uh, pay your money back or they take your house. And that's yeah. happening very, very minusculely because people have so many other options. So it's obviously a different space for where previously was when the financial crisis oh. had happened and everything along those lines. But it yes. also is a, it's been a different environment over the little while. And obviously your exposure to many different marketplaces and many different people in the real estate space, yeah. you know, what is the biggest change that you've seen in the industry, you know, post COVID or during COVID into post COVID? What, what do you think is one of the biggest industry changes outside of probably inventory levels that you've had to see people make a shift to? Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, I think probably one of the bigger shifts that I've seen come through the market in the last four, five, six years, uh, particularly going up into 2020 and COVID hitting, is a lot of people were doing a lot of things that were not referral-based business. And really, reality, when push comes to shove, when a market shifts and a market tightens up, people are more likely to want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. Uh, and then the factor is, like, so many people go online and find all the info, and they're still going to call somebody they know, like, and trust. And I think a lot of people said, well, hey, it's COVID. I'm just going to turtle. And they just pull their head in and just like, just pull your head in and wait. 
Mm. Like you had, you said you had Mike Ferry on here once. Mike Ferry, I was like, he's like, if you're gonna do business like that, you might as well just lay down and wait <laughs> for death. <right? laughs> I always, I always loved that one. That was one of my favorite things he ever said. Uh, and it's the same thing. You pull your turtle head in. If you're in the middle of the road and you pull your head in and wait, you're gonna get hit by a car. I mean, that's the that's the deal, right? So, I mean, if you're on the side of the road and you pull your head in, you're probably all right. But still, at the same time. Uh, you you got to actually get engaged in the business and you've got to be engaged in active doing things that actually drive business to you and build credibility. People stop building credibility because they're doing a lot of nonsense things that don't build credibility. They're not thinking, how do I build a relationship? They're thinking, how do I, uh, how do I get business, right? So there's a shift to business was like, if you got something, it was boom, 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 firecracker 500. Well, now you actually have to put a little more time, energy and effort in. And people are pulling back to the people they have relationships, known commodities, people they feel are an expert. And unfortunately, in the real estate industry, there's a lot of real estate agents uh, that that won't answer this question well. When I ask them in their market, standing on stage, like, what's the supply of homes? I did this, I, I did this a week ago. What's the supply of homes in this market? Crickets. Okay, all right. So let's back up. How many of you guys in this room are experts? And everybody puts their hand up. And I'm like, all right, so now pick your feet up. After putting your hand, put your hand down, pick your feet up, because I'm going to smash some toes if you leave your feet on the ground. If you're an expert, you should know what the supply of homes in your market is. Like that's basic 101. It's like, I am a chemist. What's the uh, chemical composition of water? Like, I'm not even a chemist and I know it's H2O, right? So, <laughs> uh, so with that said, like there's some really core basic things that real estate agents need to do and they need to be the ones standing up telling the story. Instead of the real estate agent standing up and telling the story of what's going on in this market, we let the others outside of us tell what's going on in the market. And unfortunately, they're usually three, four, five, six years behind. Yeah. I was I remember being in Tampa in like 2000, 2017, 18, something like that. And the news person gets on there and says, the real estate market in Tampa is really heating up. And I'm like, four years ago? Four years ago, like inventory is just rocketing down. And they're like four years later, it's like, you do not want to listen to the news for real estate advice, right? You don't because they're, they're way behind and they know for the most part with a lot of things they are supposed to be right. They know they got to be right. So they're going to wait till they know they're certain it's moving in a direction. And that's usually three, four years later, they find out. Say, Hey, when's the best time to buy a house? Yeah. The best time to buy a house is before the market changes. The <laughs> best time to buy a house is 20 years ago, right? Yeah. What's the second best time to buy a house? Well, I think that the the second best time to buy a house in anybody's purchase of decision is whenever you can. <laughs> now. <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah, whenever you can. So uh, there's a lot of people who just say, hey, well, if you're going to buy a house and only hold it for a year or two, you know, you got to really know what a market's doing. You got to really have a, a knowledge set and a guidance a guidance person. You need a Yoda to make sure you're not doing something crazy, right? Uh, but in general, for most people, they need somewhere to live. If you're going to go long-term, five, six, seven years, barring a really weird deal, market's going to be, even if it's flat, you still put more money in your pocket net. Hmm. People like, oh, Ben, you know, interest rates have gone up. I'm like, yeah, you're renting. Your interest rate is 100%. Yeah. So you're throwing away 100% guaranteed. Even if the house went down 10%, in the next year, if you hold it for four or five years, it went down 10% in the next five years, you're still ahead. Yeah. Because you're only, pay, you know, you're paying down some equity, you've got some principal going on, you know, that kind of stuff. And then even if the house doesn't go up, you're still not throwing money away. So it's just run the math equation and it makes sense to people. And real estate agents stop telling the story and making sense. 
So you're saying that the people obviously need to be an expert in the field. There's no question that that has always been the case. But from a relationship perspective, what would you say that somebody that is, hasn't really focused on relationships as well as they could or somebody yeah. starting in the business, what are the fundamental things that they need to think about when it comes to the relationship element of their business? Uh, I, I would say number one, most important thing is, is figuring out like, number one, how do you add value to people's lives, right? So let's think about a relationship. Uh, ben, you're in a relationship with a fine, fine other human. I used to say yeah. other things. Find other human. Pick whatever you want, right? <laughs> it's a new world. Uh, so you're in a relationship with a fine other human. If your job is to try to get something from them, how's that going to go? Great. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, like, a, so I'm thinking about my relationship now really well for me. <laughs> right. So keep trying to get, 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 get. So the, the reality is what you'll find is in most relationships, the more you give, the more you get right? The more you give, the better the relationship is and the more yep. you get, right? So when you start thinking, shift from trying to get business to try to give value, add value. And when you start adding value consistently over time, then people start to see you as a resource and start to see you as their resource, which is great. So it's all of the things outside uh, that we, we are as real estate agents, we touch a bunch of different things and we can become a resource for a bunch of different things. So if you become a resource to people, uh, and you can become a resource for non-real estate stuff, they're more likely to use you for real estate. Yeah. So people try to go straight at it. It's like, well, buy, sell, how? Well, you know, so some of the coaches out there, and you know a couple of them, they'll teach you, you know, every three weeks, you call everybody in your sphere and you tell, you just ask them a simple question. Who do you know thinking about buying or selling real estate in the next 30 days? And I'll tell it becomes, you what, it, be, it becomes a little metallic at that point, doesn't it? No, 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 no. It becomes poisonous, right? Yeah. So what happens is your own mom's not going to pick up the phone because she knows what you're going to ask her. Yeah. You just alienate everybody. And, and, you know, in, uh, for a number of years, that kind of stuff worked really well. But what we find is that people are more savvy now uh, mm. they're, and they're more connected now and they can get some basic information easily. So they're real, more likely to go with the person they have a relationship with and see as an expert. So you've got two kinds of credibility. You've got professional credibility and personal credibility. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, man, you won't even believe it. My own brother didn't sell his house with me. <laughs> yep. Well, for a hundred different reasons it could go, but right. But like they, they should know you like you trust you as a family member, right? But they don't know you like you and trust you as their real estate expert. So, uh, so you've got to start building that credibility and you've got to do the things that build that credibility. And uh, so I teach this all the time and people are like, oh, Russ, you're like a broken record. You keep saying the same thing. I was like, all right, cool. Uh, so let me ask you a question, Ben. If I asked you a question and the answer was D, and every time you answer D, you got $100, what, what would you like to answer for the next question? D. Does it matter what the question is? No. <laughs> right. Even if you know that's wrong, just D. 100 <laughs> D. Bucks, 100, <laughs> bucks, 100 bucks, right? So it's a matter of saying, okay, uh, let me ask you this question. Are you, are you actually a real estate agent? Am I? Yeah. Are you licensed real estate? I, also? I am licensed to do real estate, correct, but I don't practice. Okay. I, Okay, so well, you're just like a lot of realtors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm licensed, but I'm right. Uh, so I'm kidding, guys. Don't send me hate. <laughs> yeah, duh. no, but that's fine. No, hey, yeah. I think you're appealing to the exact people that we don't want to actually not appeal to on the podcast. Yeah. So we're good. <laughs> Anybody that's offended by that, just hang up now. <laughs> just yeah, lay exactly. down and wait. <laughs> so, uh, so out and about. Somebody said you're, you're out and about doing something you enjoy and you meet somebody and you're like, Hey, how you doing? Having a drink after a mountain bike ride or a ride or whatever, all the crazy stuff that I do. Uh, and you stand around just chatting and they're like, Hey, Russell, so, so what do you do? And I say, I'm a real estate agent or a realtor, or whatever. Right. And then the next thing they ask me is almost always the same thing. Do you know what they ask? How's the market? Bingo. Dude, every freaking time, 
almost yeah. every time, right? So shouldn't we get really great at answering that question? So, so we're talking about like learning really simple tools. And so like I would teach you, go out and do more things you love. You're going to meet more people doing things you love. You're going to have things in common with those people that you do things that you love. Like, listen, the boat people are boat people. The airplane people are airplane people. The mountain bike guys are mountain bike guys. The road bike guys shave their legs and do everything weird, right? Triathlete people are triathlete people. And you got the mountain climbers and you got the runners. You got the people that roll around in canoes. You know, you got quilting people. You've got craft people. I build electric bass guitars as a hobby. I forge knives as a hobby. Those people are all really weird. I know because I'm one of them, right? <laughs> but you have those things in common and, and those become your people. So do more things that you enjoy. And then when somebody says, hey, Russ, what do you do? Instead of me doing the norm, and doing my elevator pitch, which everybody's like, you got to have an elevator pitch, right? You've heard that. You got to have a 30-second elevator pitch. The problem is, Ben, is when somebody asks the question, how's the market? And then I do elevator pitch, which is a sales pitch. What do they do? Do they ever look at you and say, Ben, tell me more, dude. Just tell me more. That was amazing. <laughs> never, right? Never, never. never. Yeah. They yeah. run. But we keep getting taught this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And you got to look at things and say, if I do something over and over and it doesn't work, maybe I should do something different. So yep. I started teaching people instead of doing that, hey, here's here's my response. How's the market? And I go, hey, you know what? I do a real estate market update every every month that tells people what's going on in the market. Would you like me to send that to you? Yeah. And they say, yes, every time, right? They just said, hey, how's the market? Hey, I got something that tells you about that. You want it? Sure. So, yeah, it's it's, it's so funny. I I heard somebody I heard somebody actually ask a question. Um, uh, I was with uh, one of my one of my good friends is obviously one of our top performers within our company, and he we're out actually having a beer together the other day, and he got asked that same question, like just the bartender. Oh, what do you guys do? Obviously, yeah. um, you know, like it was just that they were curious. They heard overheard a conversation. Oh, we're in real estate. Sure. Okay, yeah. great. How's the market? It, immediately, as you know, and he's like, well, it depends. Are you looking to buy or sell? It was really a really good qualifying question to the information that was ultimately given and and yeah. she was like and she was like well I, well you know look I'd sell my home if I got enough money so it was actually interesting to see the engagement from that yes. perspective yes so here's the fun part what's the chance of her actually being in a position to actually sell their house right now you know, one in every seven you'd have to be really lucky for that one in every seven years to be happening right now and I yep, happen yep. to be sitting here now listen don't get me wrong dude I believe in the law of attraction and I also believe there are times when weird things happen. You're like, you happen to need to sell your house. And I happen to be sitting here at this moment. We happen to have, that <laughs> I mean, so there's serendipity, call it whatever you want, call it law of attraction. That would, that's what I use for it, right? As people like, God answered my prayer. Well, cool. Call it whatever you want. I'm fine with that. Like good, right? Uh, so, but chances of that happening are like one in seven, every seven years. So with that being said, now, how do you capture that person so that I can now deliver value to them over time? Say, hey, they might not be willing to do something or wanting to do something now, but the more they think about it, the more they think about it. And the more they think about it, the more they end up doing it. Yeah, for sure. Right? So they start thinking about it. And this is why when we list a house, we know that typically within two, three, four months, one or two other properties within eyesight of that house will list their house. And here's how it goes, right? A mom and pa are driving down the street. They go by and go, hey, look at Joe selling his house. And next thing you know, they have a conversation about selling a house. They drive by and then they see the sold sign. Hey, you said Joe's house sold. You know, it's like, you know, maybe we should start thinking about that person that's on the edge gets kicked over the edge because it puts it in front of mind for them, right? Yeah. So it's just, that's why you do just listed and just sold cards around everything you do. Because you know, within statistically, somebody's going to sell a house with an eyesight of there really quick. 
or really yeah. soon, right? So having a market update I do every month gives me the ability to send that bartender and say, hey, by the way, I do a market update every month that tells people what's going on in the market. So you can kind of hear what's going on. And when it sounds like it's time for you to go, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And they it, go, it, holy crap, that's brilliant. Yeah. It leads to another part of this as well is that it comes down to uncontested business. Everybody believes that they need to be the sharpest. They need to be the sharpest real estate agent that they possibly can be to compete or anything along those lines. You don't need to be, you don't need to be if you manage your relationships because it's uncontested business at that point because it's like, hey, Russ, come over and list my house rather than, hey, Russ, I don't really know you. Can you come and give me an idea of how to do it? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm going to interview three or four people for the job of selling the house. Like that doesn't happen if you're building a relationship business because they're calling you and it's yours to blow, right? <laughs> like you say, so you don't have to be the sharpest knife. You just have to be the sharpest knife in your house, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's it. That's, <laughs> so, right. That's uh, right. So it's just a matter of finding and positioning yourself, right? So one of the other things that's crazy is like uh, people say, well, Russ, well, how do I how do I stay in communication with them more and build a relationship? Well, be a resource for them, right? So I tell everybody to build a contractor list. Ben, let me ask you this. Do you live in a house? Yes. Is it perfect? No. Are things breaking on it all the time? Yeah, all the time. How often would you say in a year, how many times in a year does something break on your house that you probably should have somebody else fix? Oh, probably four or five times. Okay. So probably let's say conservatively four or five times. Okay. So you've got a person moving once every seven years, or you've got four or five times a year, something happens. If you can get them to reach out to you for those things, when that once in a seven year span comes around, you're their guy. Right. Yeah. Because they're, if they're going to call me when they need a plumber and say, hey, Russ, I know you know everybody. Who's your plumber? Uh, if they call me for that, I know they're going to call me when it's time to sell the house. So why don't I be in a position of being a resource for the whole seven years? And they're going to instead of getting one one interaction every seven years, I get five interactions every year. So five times seven years is 35 interactions versus one. Yeah. So how do you increase contact and communication where people have the ability to reach to you 35 times in a year versus once every seven years? I mean, just think of law of averages, right? If I'm going to go to the casino. I can win a million dollars once every seven years, or I can win uh, you know, $100,000 five times every year. I'll take that deal all day, twice on a Friday, right? So it's just a matter of putting yourself in better odds where people see you as a resource. And it's not always see me as a resource as real estate. It's see me as a resource as everything all around real estate. So like, hey, by the way, when I was in Tampa, I had two guys that were auction guys. You know why? Because sometimes that was the best deal. That was the best thing to be doing for a seller is saying, let's put it up for auction. And that's the best strategy for them to move, move their property. Yeah. We always had to have those guys, right? So I had those two guys on the hook and I always knew it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe this one might be worth taking a look at. Why don't you guys run some numbers and metrics on this? And then I'll present that along with them. So you guys have multiple options. Yeah, exactly. And the seller sometimes goes, you know what, Russ? I think I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Russ, I guess that the other part of this as well in that relationship building side of things is that, uh, is that, do you believe though, you have to remind them at least annually that you're in real estate? Because one of the big things that I will say is that if an agent simply is too passive in the sense of that just trying to provide them value external to real estate, I've seen many agents lose business or not even get an opportunity to list business or go in and pitch yes. for the business essentially, yes. because they're not reminding them they're in real estate enough. Yes. Well, so you, you have to have a ratio, right? So I, I say, you know, guys, what I don't want to see on, on your social every day is like, here's me in the stupid oversized key. We just sold a house because then people just kind of tune you out, right? Mm. But if that's like one in five is a, I'm a realtor, but keep in mind too. So here's a position on those things. Hey, I'm Russ the realtor and I build a contractor list to help my customers and clients now before they're selling a house and after they buy a house, I want to make sure I'm a resource for them. So for that reason, I'm adding plumber to my thing. If you guys know a plumber, send them my direction. I'm Russ the realtor. 
send me your best plumber, right? Boom. And I can do in my social, hey, hey, I'm Russell Realtor. Check out Yellow Dog. This is the coolest little restaurant. If you guys want to go to a building that looks like the termites had a field day for 100 years with this thing, <laughs> building looks like it's going to fall down, but it's actually made to look like that. It's pretty cool. Amazing food, great menu, good prices. You can get a cold beer and you can have that out sitting in the back in a VW bug with five of your favorite friends because they actually have a, a Volkswagen bus in the back you can eat dinner at. Uh, <laughs> it's a cool place. If you haven't seen it, go to Yellow Dog. Check it out. I'm Russell Realtor. See you next week. Yeah, great. Now I'm doing Russ the Realtor's doing and Russ the Realtor going to the bowl. Here's five bowling alleys you need to know about. In the north, that's a deal, right? People don't go out in the winter. They go hide in a bowling alley. Still, People still do that, right? Where are five hiking trails? Here's five hiking trails. Hey, I'm Russ the Realtor. Check out the local hiking trails. So I become a local resource. I'm Russ the Realtor doing local resource. Or like me, when I do real estate market update, I'm like, hey, I'm Russ the Real Estate Dude. Russ the real estate dude. That's got a nice ring to it. I like it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't overbrand it either because a lot of people like they don't care about my brand. Nobody's ever come up to me, Ben, and said, Hey, what company are you with? They don't ever ask that. They don't care no, less. No. They're like, You're Russ. You're Russ the real estate dude. Like you do whatever you do, wherever you do. They don't care what my business card says. Yeah. Because it's you you build your own brand and you can build that brand on any platform, right? Yeah. And there are certain platforms that help you do that better than others. So Russ, we've obviously established that relationship is going to be the key as the, over the last couple of years, as the inventory levels have tightened, you know, relationships yes. are the key. And if yes. you don't have a business like that, you need to build it. But yeah. what do you, where do you think we're going? Give me an idea of where you think we're going in the next two years. What do you think industry change is going to look like? What do you think people need to be focused on? I know it's a broad question, but you know, there was a, there was, there's a lawsuit that just got class action status at the moment. That's looking yeah. to, you know, erode the buyer side commission as well. So, yes. you know, people need to start focusing more on the listing direction of the business if that's going to be a constant threat. You know, we know that because our company is an international company where the US and Canada and Mexico are still the only yeah. countries out of 11 that we operate in yeah. that actually has a buyer side. So, yeah. you know, where do you think we are going from an industry right. in the next number of years? Well, uh, so let's go backwards, a, a short history lesson, right? So um, I, I love the fact that the seller pays a commission and they pay the commission on both sides, right? Uh, I love the fact of that because if that wasn't the case, it would have taken me years longer to get into my first house because most first time home buyers don't have the cash up front. They can barely do the down payment. They don't have the cash up front. So the seller's actually helping the next generation realize the American dream. And you're like, nobody's ever said it like that before. <laughs> so then the seller gets mad. And like, I got to pay both sides of commission. Hey, well, ho, ho, hold on, Tiger. When you bought your first house, did you pay the realtor? No. So the seller paid the realtor on your behalf. So you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. It's now time for you to pay the piper and help the next generation come in. So really every generation moving up helps the next generation moving up because it's a cash flow issue on the buyer side. And the seller typically in most markets, statistically, historically, have more cash in hand and they have the, the wherewithal and the ability to pay. So then people are able to move up to that next level. So with that being said, uh, where are we at today? So a couple of things. Okay. So number one, it's because it, I think it's going to become even more of a relationship business. Okay. So if you look back 2012, uh, just about a million realtors in 2012, 2022, 1.6 million realtors. Mm. Okay. 2020, uh, 2012, 5.5 million sales a year, pretty normal 5.5 million plus or minus nationally. It's at 4.5 currently. And nationally we have a housing shortage of about 1.5 million homes. So not only do we have a shortage of housing, but then we have lowered house sales and here's what's happening. So in a normal market, you have a normal flow, you have buyers and sellers and you have the normal churn, right? It's let's say five, six, seven months supply of homes. You get a certain amount of homes come on the market and buyers come on the market and it has this ability to flow and, and make movements, right? So what happens is inventory goes down 
and then the buyers are competing for houses. So it drives prices up, which makes it harder to compete for houses for some buyers. So some buyers are settling for less. And then what happens is now the seller saying, hey, you know what? COVID shifted. I need to do something different. I'm working from the house. This house doesn't work for us. So I need to do something different. And they're like, I need to sell my house. And they're going, okay, cool. Well, let's go find a house. Wah, wah. We can't find anything either. So they're like, well, I'd love to move. But I can't move because I can't find something and I don't want to sell my house first and then hope to buy something because I could be homeless for five or six months or seven months or permanently, right? I'm not willing to do that. So I'm just going to make do with what I got, which is why you've seen remodeling go up too. Yep. Yep. So remodeling has gone up and home construction stuff has gone up and people are like, you know what, how do we adapt this house to make it work until the market shifts so that I can make the move? So here's, here's what has actually happened. And you can track some of these numbers in a lot of cities. Inventory jumps up a little bit for whatever little hiccup, 2020. Everybody stopped like, oh, okay, everybody stopped. Then the inventory creeped up. And then as soon as people opened the doors and looked around, the buyer's like, oh, holy crap, there's houses. Hmm. And they go, boom, they snap them up, right? So you drop you drop 10,000 houses in the Tampa market today, they'd be gone by the end of the week. Two weeks, three yeah. weeks, they'd be gone, right? That'd just suck it right back in and go right back to where it was. So the problem is we've got a stagnation issue. And you say, well, Russ, how do you know you have a stagnation issue? Well, we have 4.5 million homes sold last year instead of 5.5, which means a million people decided not to move for what reason? Because they were in lock. They were they were in lock, right? They can't find something to buy, so they don't sell. And then they don't sell, and so the other buyers can't buy. And you end up with this just flat stagnation, right? So what has to happen for that to change? Has to be a supply. Inventory has to go up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or buyer level has to drop off substantially, which ultimately makes the inventory level go up. So what happened last year is interest rates went from three and a half to six and a half over the span of a year. And a bunch of buyers are like, holy crap, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy a house. And then they're like, well, this is stupid. I'm still going to have to buy a house. I just have to buy less house. So what happens is people didn't say, Hey, I'm not going to buy ever. They're just like, I'm not going to buy now because they're freaked out. And then they go out and they can't find, and they're having to compete. And all these properties are going 10, 15, 20, 30, 50,000 over asking price. So instead of looking at 300, they should have been looking at 250 and being willing to go 20 and 30 over asking price. Boom, they'd have a house. Yeah. Instead, they're looking at 300 and they're not willing to compete at 320 and 330. So it's a mind shift has to happen so that we as real estate agents shift the buyer's thoughts to, okay, you're qualified to 300. We know there's bidding wars on everything. So let's look at everything at 275. So if we have to go 10 or 15 over, we're still good, right? Now we're planning for success. And once the industry starts to get, hey, by the way, we've got to readjust the buyer's expectations and get them in a position where they're looking at the right stuff so they have a chance to be successful, that'll start moving a little bit more, but we still don't have houses to buy. Yeah. So supply has to go up. That's that's it. Builders slowed down buying. 2020 slowed down builders buying. So by the way, do you think it's do you think supply is going to go up? I think it has to. It, it it can't it can't where we are right now. Yeah. Right? So that's the problem. It's like I I know what I want it to do, I know what I hope it'll do, and I know what I think it should do. But no wishing and hoping and dreaming can make that happen as opposed like because you still have people in the same conundrum. Something substantial has to change to make that balance shift again to let that inventory go up. What do you think about though? What do you think about though? The the distressed element of the marketplace is not at play whatsoever, but that there's an institutional investor that is out there now that is snapping up. Apparently they, they, they snapped up. They were literally 20% of all home sales last year was to institutional investors. Yes. Now that said though, those same institutional investors, and this is where I say where an inventory supply is going to come from is that 
and hopefully this is the case. Like, Russ, I'm just being optimistic because the marketplace needs a little bit more transaction at the moment. You're just as aware as that. But but realistically, those same institutional investors that have purchased homes in North America hold very, very large portfolios of commercial real estate. Yes. And apparently the co- commercial real estate element side is the tipping point. You know, in 20, 2008, it was it was the residential housing crisis. Yes. They say that next year or whether it be later this year, there's I think there's $2 trillion worth of commercial loans that are meant to reset. They say it's going to be the commercial side of the business that ultimately then topples that. And then you see that ripple effect into residential. Now, yeah. at the moment, the residential market could absorb that with not taking much of a hit on pricing. But yes. realistic, what do you think about that situation? Yeah. So, you know, I, I know a couple of people on the commercial side. Um, they're the experts in that probably way, way more than I am. Uh, yes, I could see how that could play out potentially. I could see also how that doesn't really change the fact that we still don't have the supply and the sellers Mm. still can't sell their house because they can't find something to buy in a lot of markets. Uh, So ideally what happens or or typically what will happen in this this scenario, and we've seen this once or twice in history, is the market just stays flat. It just goes Mm. nowhere. It is like just flops. It's not dead. It's not alive. It's just flopping around on the street. And we're waiting (laughs) to see if it gets kicked back into the water or gets eaten by a bird. I don't we don't know yet, but it's out there flopping around. And it's still flopping around. So in that regard, uh, would I love to see an inventory burst go way up? Yeah, absolutely. What'll happen is oh, you'd have a bunch more sales. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's good for everybody. So, hey, hey, by the way, we're on the real estate side. I don't care if they're buying or selling. It's a transaction, it's a transaction, it's a transaction, right? People are buying, selling, getting married, getting divorced, dying, having kids. All of that stuff is going to keep on going on. It's always going to happen. It's like get in the hairstyling business. Hair is going to always grow. Mm. Uh, well, should <laughs> uh, always always grow. <laughs> should there you go. Should should indeed. Yeah, it's, indeed. A, it's a job job security. So from my perspective, I see it going flat. Can I see that harming the residential market? No. Small effect around the outside. Yeah, sure. Because again, it doesn't change the fundamentals that we just don't have enough supply and the builders aren't building enough to be able to keep up. So we're getting behind on that. Institutional buyers are buying a ton. I would love for the institutional buyers to go, you know what? It's going to be flat for the next two years. We should unload some of our inventory. And then what's going to happen is they'll unload some of their inventory and it'll start driving prices up because people start moving again and the inventory will drop back down. The prices will go back up and they'll be like, oh, we should have stayed in. And then they'll yeah. get back in again. Yeah. Like, like where, where does it end? Where does it end? It ends with something major happening. And I don't know what that's going to be. If I knew what that was, I'd be on an island talking to you. Yeah. Does it have to? Does it have to be? Does it have to be major? That's what something the you know I think that it, um, with the Silicon Valley Bank and everything like that that happened uh, over recent times. You know, it's funny. It was like venture capitalist is what um, people call yes. the, call the people that had their money there, yes. um, and they were calling them. I think it was like venture. Um, catastrophists like yes. they were just making a huge scene out of this situation yeah. does something major have to happen like maybe we're in a situation where something major might not happen and that's where you're yeah. going to see people in real estate or people that are on the fence making decisions yeah. be be uh, be disappointed they never actually just made a decision regardless of the yes. marketplace yes. and what it was doing at that time yeah, so we've got a housing shortage. So let's go backwards again. So we've got a housing shortage. So people have been sitting out of the market. We got pent up demand. 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, everybody's like, I'm not buying a house. You'd be nuts to buy a house. So you got four, five, six years of pent up demand. Nobody wants to buy a house in a market getting crushed. 
right? Uh, that's where the hedge funds started picking stuff up. And they're like, we don't care. They got crushed. Perfect. Let's buy. We're in a long-term game. So we still have that housing shortage. So you just like, let's say uh, so much water piled up behind the dam and you poke a little hole and the dam opens up. You still got that pent up demand back there. And that's what's been kicking through over the last five, six, seven, eight years. And the problem is it's still never emptied the rest behind the dam because the water's piling up as fast as the water's going over the top, right? So you're like, that's great, Russ. Well, we had eight years of releasing that demand. Yeah, but the demand's still building because you don't have the house supply. So we still have shortage of houses. So you're still building up water behind there. So there is still pent up demand and a ton of people that would like to buy a house if they had the opportunity to find something that made sense for them. So now what? Yeah. Here we go again. And that's why I'm saying we're going to be, there's no reason to say we wouldn't do anything other than be stuck in the same cycle. So now with that being said, how do you become successful within that stuck cycle? That's where we are now. Everybody thought 2020, that'll fix it. Nope. Didn't fix it. Made it worse. Right. Mm. Cause some of that pent up demand, they're like, Hey, I'm looking around. Oh, yeah, look prolonged. prolonged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, final final sort of little bit of a segue into industry stuff. Um, from a company standpoint, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, introducing you in um, is that you're um, part of EXP. Um, you know, there's uh, there's several and they're, they're sort of a digital brand. Um, then you've got the compasses of the world. You've got the Keller Williams that are the old guards, yeah. the Cobble Bankers and everything along those lines. You've got Rheology losing $400 odd million last year, Compass losing more money than I can absolutely even understand. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these different types of brokerages now publicly traded with the restrictions and the handcuffs on them. And then you've also then got the yeah. independents that are on the flanks of all of that. There's so much noise in this industry, Russ. <laughs> what 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 are you what are you optimistic of for the industry? What do you, where do you where do you think that that side of the business is going from a offering perspective? Yeah, so um, uh, well, I could I could tackle that eight hundred different directions. <laughs> uh, so let's two two things. Fundamental philosophy for me, right? There's plenty for everybody, right? There's plenty for everybody. There's a reason there's a McDonald's on every corner. And by the way, Burger King's not too far away and there's a Taco Bell right down the street and there's KFC down the street. And by the way, Chick-fil-A is doing awesome too. Because uh, there's people, people want choices, right? And not everybody is cut out for it. People say, well, Russ, uh, your company is the best company for every, every agent can do better here. And my response to them is no, that's delusional thinking. That's not the way the reality really works because there are some people that will excel being in an environment where they can go into a building and have their people and have their crew and sit down and have the coffee and that traditional model. There are people that will only excel in that traditional model. Would they do well in my model? Not so good. Not so much. Could they do well? Sure. Are there ways to adapt and adjust to make it work within that? Absolutely. But the reality is some of those people, they, they belong where they are, right? So number one, there's plenty for everybody. Number mm. two, there's no one brand that is the best brand. You got to find no. the best brand for you, right? I'll have people sit down like teams and brokerages and they'll say, well, Russ, I know you're just going to try to convince me to go there. I'm like, no, I want to help you make the best decision for you. And there's been way more than one time, Ben, I look at them, I go, you know what? You're not the right fit for here. Because this, this, and this, and because of that, this is probably a better spot for you because of this, this, and this. And they're like, are you telling me not to come there? Well, yeah, it's not a takeaway. I'm telling you no. that's the best spot for you because of your mindset and where your brain is, right? So the first thing first, when we ta start talking about real estate brokerages, you got to ask the person, it's like, well, tell me about your business. What does your business look like? What do you want your business to look? What do you want it to look like? And then based on that, you make a recommendation of whether the business is the best for them versus going, well, you know, our company does this and this and this and this and like who nobody cares. Nobody cares what we have. They just yeah. care 
how what we have makes their business move because they have their goals and dreams. And if our company isn't the right one to help them make their dreams and goals happen, then I don't want them here. I want yeah. them to be in a place where they get their life's dreams. How they change their life's family, change the fortunes. They set up a legacy for their family. They don't have to make every decision based on dollars. Wherever that is, that's where I want you to be. Wherever that is best fit for you is where I want you to be. So with that being said, with the shift in the market and the way the market changed, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, you really needed an office for a couple of key things, right? And then the digital world changed and all the documents are digital and now I can do my whole file and I don't have to actually deliver a paper file to the office, which was one function. Like you need to have a paper file because it wasn't convenient. Were there certain things available? Yes, but it wasn't convenient and it wasn't readily accessible. Now it's super readily accessible. I can do my whole business from my laptop. I don't have to go. I could literally be anywhere in the world and do a deal and I can access everything. I don't need a printer anymore. Who uses a printer anymore, right? So, I mean, are there some people you can use a printer? Sure, great. That's wonderful. But when you look at the amount of cost it takes to be able to run a full brick and mortar business, I, I managed at one point with Carrington. So in the Chris Cochran days, right? Mm-hmm. I had 28 offices under my purview across the south half of the country. And the cheapest ones were seven to $8,000 a month to break even. Oh yeah. Some was, of those spaces are just ridiculous. Yeah. And that was in that was with a person in, a, in an executive suite, right? So when I look at my normal regular real estate office, it's 15 to $20,000 for the space. So you're 20 grand or a month plus or minus just to break even just on having space and the things that go with it. Right. So when you look at that and saying, if I can remove that overhead, it gives me the ability to have better technology. So if I don't have that cost and you do, I can do things you can't do. I can provide tools you can't provide. I can have things you can't provide unless you actually up the cost including, you know, and where does that money come from, right? So the the way you pay off the bills every month is real estate agents do sales and we take a piece of their commission. So in a traditional real estate model, if you're not north of 22, 23% company dollar, you take 22, 23% company dollars usually break even. So you got to be at 23, 24, 25, 26. So when I look at somebody's P&L and pull their business apart, I'm like, uh, I have to sit down with them like, okay, so how much money are you losing? A month. Yeah. Right. Because I'm doing the math in my head. I'm going, all right, you can't be less with a small 3,500 square foot building. You can't be less than 20 grand a month. Uh, And that's not including paying you. And then you look at certain model, uh, there's a model with a balloon and they had to be at 20 agents in their, in their system to be able to break even. Once you got to 20 producing agents, paying the monthly, you broke even. That means you don't get a check until 21 comes in the door. Otherwise, you got to be selling houses. And then they adjusted their model. And now they've got some people at 80-20 splits and some people at 70-30s. And they got some people paying the monthly. Now you need 30 or 40 agents to be able to break even on that model. So what happens is when we look at the P&Ls on these guys, you know, when we see somebody that's at 5% profit margin, we're like, dang, that's strong. Five is strong, right? And most real estate agents don't know this. A lot of people getting into owning their own brokerage don't realize that's a big number usually. And some people say, well, Russ, I could do it. Yeah, there are some anomalies, absolutely. But when you look at the overalls and you look at the models and the structures and franchise fees and all the things that go with it to be able to provide that that previous full service brokerage experience, you can't afford to anymore. And then the agent commissions went from 70s and 80s up into the 90s, right? Up into the high 80s and 90s, even in the traditional models. And that means they're still not making any money because they're nowhere near that 22%. So now they got to cut somewhere. Yeah. Well, right. I think you've seen, but you also, you've seen recently, I like, it's amazing that you've seen people that, uh, that have gone to a resurgence. It's funny. There's been, 
in the marketplaces that we operate in primarily west coast of north america is that you've yeah. seen agencies actually go back to increasing commissions compass yes. did it throughout their whole company they increased yes. their their brokerage commission yes. um and and went backwards and that's where you get the mass exoduses and it's such a transient business that at the end of the yes. day i do, i just don't think that there's there's not enough nurturement on the next generation of realtor um in the sense of that you know, when it's a digital environment, I don't believe yes. that the new talent get nurtured as well as what they ultimately should. It probably more provokes really? to the people that have actually gotten there. Um, you know, second to that is that, you know, there's a great deal of this part-time perspective in real estate, yes. depending on where you are. Yes. Um, yes. And that's going to take a change in generation or a shift in that to get people to what they're doing. What do you think that the industry needs to do for new agents coming into the business? Uh, well, I think unfortunately we've, we've done a really great job of making the business look sexy, <laughs> right? Because uh, you're like, man, they're driving around nice cars, blah, blah, blah. And what they don't realize is that when you actually look at the math nationally, you got 4.5 million home sales. So well, let's do math. And people are like, well, Russ, those numbers don't make sense. Okay, 4.5 million home sales last year, 1.6 million realtors. So that's less than three sales per person nationally if you just divide it out, right? And we know that's not proportionally correct because we know the top 10% do 90% of the business, which means the other 90% do the other 10% of the business. So when you look at average income in Florida back, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, it's 32,000, it's 38, 39,000 a year. Uh, listen, like Ben, nobody ever sat down in my office and when I said, how much money do you want to make a year? They said, I want to make 32 grand. None of them, not one ever, Right. But there's a lot of people that look at it as they can do a part-time business. Well, if you do part-time business, you're going to get part-time pay most likely. The problem is you don't have the ability to build the credibility because you're not doing the things that real estate agents need to do to build personal credibility so that you become their expert. So then they kind of just take that one, two, three here and there, and then they just kind of flounder along. And a lot of them get a second job, get a job paying out monthly so that they have that inflow. And then they just do a deal here and a deal there and a deal here and a deal yeah. there. Now, the part that sucks is it takes away from the people trying to make a living doing it. Yeah. So you, you got a bunch of people just kind of half-assing it, uh, taking away from the people that are trying to make a real run at it, run a real business. And unfortunately, the bar to get in is so low that there are people able to trip over it, fall on their face, and still end up in the business, right? And then, of course, the boards and the, and the National Association of Realtors don't help because they collect dues and they collect dues. They collect dues whether they make money or not. Yeah. So how many people do you want to have in the business? Well, it's all of them, right? Yeah. That is like, yeah. it's completely counterintuitive to, to how you get high quality is saying anybody can come in. And by the way, we get paid whether they do sales or not. There's no incentive to make sure they get paid. Now, I'm not saying the organizations don't do the stuff they need to. But when you get people that are, you get people that are distracted and then you got still people teaching the good old stuff from the 1980s and 90s. And an agent's like, well, you know, if I hear the word bang the phone, phrase bang the phones one more time, well, what you need to do is bang the phones. And I'm like, I'm going to bang you in the face with a phone, right? Yeah. One of those old rotary dial things. So I get some mass behind it when I punch you in the head with it. <laughs> Stop teaching people shitty practices that get you shitty results. Yep. The industry teaches really horrible practices that get you really horrible results. So you got to start teaching a lifestyle, live a lifestyle, a cool lifestyle, an interesting lifestyle, and become a resource and become a relationship person that adds value. And now the business starts coming to you. And now you don't have to be that person that's chasing all the time. I mean, real estate agents are ranked above only used car salesmen in credibility. Mm -hmm. That's it. Why? Because most of them are trying to get. And for some of them, that's that's a big deal. And, and, I, and I feel horrible for the people that are two, three, four. I've made a business of getting people from two, three, four sales to 20. 
Because that's game changer, life changer, world changer for them. When you take somebody from going to making $15,000, $20,000 a year extra, and then they make $100,000 a year extra, that $80,000 changes the trajectory of their family for years. Yep. And it'll change yep. the trajectory of their grandchildren, right? So when you start looking at that stuff, that's where I've made my business because I take the people that are saying, hey, you're, you've got a little nugget, you got a little spark of life. Let's show you how to do the right stuff so that you get to the point where the business is coming to you and you have credibility. And you don't have to do this 80 hours a week chasing people around. So what do we need to do as a business? We need to get better at teaching people how to build relationships. We need to get better at teaching basic training. And I think we really realistically need to raise the bar of entry. Yeah. Yeah. We really sure. need to raise the bar of entry. Well, and Russ, I think that- Not just give it to the organizations and the boards. So like, yeah. we'll raise the bar to entry. Now everybody's $1,500 for NAR and a thousand more dollars for $7,500, but it all goes to the boards in NAR, National Association of Realtors. Not that I'm opposed to them, but- um, that's, that's not the spot that's going to make that problem go away. It's not leading to, it's not leading that, that payout is not leading to any value from the person in that, from that individual degree. It's then relying on the industry, which then they're already taking away from them. But Russ, I think that, I think that today, not only have we got some industry insights, we've also got some real practicality things from a relationship perspective that people need to be working on in order to have a much more sustainable business. So thanks for joining us on Rethink Real Estate. Absolutely, man. Had a great time with it. Thank you. Thank you. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us, and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.